Hey, I got a challenge for you. Guard this 90-minute window and you'll win the day. Now, I'm going to show you what to do in a 90-minute period so you can overcome whatever the day is going to bring, no matter what. So stick with us for that. Now, I'm also going to be telling you about our upcoming webinar. You've heard me talk about it last week. It's coming up pretty soon now, coming up on November 12th. You can choose 1 o'clock or 7 o'clock. If you just go to 48days.com slash webinar, you'll see there you can reserve a spot for that. Seven ways to get your life back in 2021. Seven ways to get your life back in 2021. So if you are deciding that 2021 is going to be the year you're going to start that side business, join us. If you're doing okay, but you really think there must be more than what you're experiencing currently, hey, join us for that. If you're still trying to figure out what your purpose and your passion are, God, it'd be a great way to kind of get clarity on that. But this is a time to get clarity. You decide what you want the next year to be. You don't have to sit around and wait and see what happens. You don't have to do that. You decide what you want next year to be. Join us at 48days.com slash webinar. Now, here's some of the questions that we're going to be covering today. What can I, or what I enjoy most is playing board games like Ticket to Ride. Can I get a job doing this? Uh, Dan, why are you not endorsing products on your podcast anymore? Great question. And I, I want you to help me explore that very question. Dan, could you share your morning routine and how you plan your day? All right, we'll do that. Uh, do you have any suggestions on how to stand out from others during an interview that is in a virtual setting? Yes, I do. I can tell you how to rock it, how to be a rock star in doing an interview in a virtual setting. Somebody says, uh, do you see, how do you see the COVID-19 pandemic affecting the way jobs are for the long term? Great question. And a lady asked, how would you choose life versus career? Well, that's a great one to, to wrap on. They got some more there if we can get to them. Uh, this week I did, I spoke to a class at Mississippi State University under the direction of Dr. Randy Little. They use 48 Days to the Work You Love as their textbook. I'm always honored by that to kind of wrap up the end of the semester with questions from the students. I'll uh, insert some of those if we have time here as well. This is our quotation for today. It comes from Henry Ward Beecher, probably familiar to you, certainly to me. He said, the first hour of the morning is the rudder of the day. So we're going to kind of weave that in. But remember that the first hour of the morning is the rudder of the day. All right, let's cover some good news here and we'll jump into some questions. Uh, a lot of good news happening. Here's a seven-year-old boy who was bullied and he opened a huge food pantry making his life all about positive energy. If living well is the best revenge, then Kavanaugh Bell may just be having the best life ever. Here's a little boy, spirited, seven-year-old, who was being bullied at school. But rather than internalizing the pain or trying to figure out how to get even, he decided he was going to channel his energy into doing something positive instead. Now, this is pretty cool. I mean, this is pretty mature. This guy must have you know, really helpful parents to figure this out. But he says, after I was bullied and I felt a darkness inside me, I knew I didn't want other kids to feel the same way I felt. So I asked my mom if she could help me spread love and positivity. And the more I gave back to my community, the more I wanted to keep doing it. Now, this little boy lives in Gaithersburg, Maryland, uh, with his mom and their extended family. 
I mean, even before he was involved in this bullying incident, he had a heart for doing good, for helping other people. So he started with his own little savings account, but he started putting together care packages filled with food and toiletries for his elderly neighbors. And then over time, other people heard about what he was doing. And you know how it goes. People always want to be involved in something good like this. They want to help. If you can spearhead something that's courageous, that's helping other people, you're going to find others that want to contribute and help you in your plan to do that. So he, this little boy is doing that. Golly, it's really grown dramatically what he's doing now. His mom says he believes he can save the world, and I believe him. Uh, he just carries that, well, no problem, let's do it kind of attitude. Doesn't see anything as a challenge. So he's been interviewed by People Magazine and other organizations, but this has grown and grown and grown. He now has a warehouse space that's been donated by a company that allows him to use it for what he's doing. And uh, his goal, this little boy's goal, again, seven years old, says he hopes to see bullying totally eradicated by his 18th birthday 10 years from now. While 2030 may be a decade away with his pluck and persistence, he might just reach his goal. Um, that, that's a lofty goal. I mean, when, when you have a goal, I mean, some things when we talk about eradicating bullying or eradicating racism or bigotry, I mean, those things are deep within the heart of humans. Um, we, we can't just make laws to eradicate those things. Those come from human emotions, human feelings, human kind of characteristics. I'm not sure we can eradicate those. They're kind of deep within the heart of every person to choose or not choose those things. We can certainly create models for uh, reducing those things. And I commend this little boy in doing what he's doing. Now, this is kind of cool, and I, I really identify with this, and you will too. Here's a graduate student who defends her dissertation. Now, you know, when you get a PhD, you have to have a dissertation, and then you have to defend it in front of your board of advisors. She did that while wearing a skirt made from rejection letters. <laughs> I mean, if you're doing anything, you're going to experience rejection. I mean, if you've never been rejected, you probably aren't trying to do anything very significant. You're going to get rejected. So this gal, PhD student, her name is Caitlin Kirby. She's a PhD student in Michigan. She defended her dissertation in while wearing this skirt. And there's a cute picture of it. You can check it out. It's just papers that are tied together. It's certainly nothing immodest or anything, but it's it's made of rejection letters. She printed out 17 of her rejection letters. Uh, these were rejections she got from scholarships, academic journals, conferences. And then she folded each one into a fan. Then she connected them in a row and then made a couple rows. And she created this really cute skirt out of her rejection letters. Well, she And she talks about the whole process of revisiting those old letters and making that skirt sort of reminded me that you have to apply to a lot of things to succeed. A natural part of the process is to get rejected along the way. And so she's kind of built this into her one of her messages. Uh, she's now uh, working on a postdoctoral research project at the University of Nebraska. She says, in response to what does the future hold, I'm gearing up to receive a few more rejection letters along the way. She joked with the Lansing State Journal, maybe I'll make a longer skirt. 
Now, you know, this is worth just thinking about for a minute. I, I recently, a couple of weeks ago, you'll recall, I had as my guest Mark Victor Hansen on here. Mark Victor Hansen being the co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. And we revisited that time early in his career where he received, he along with Jack Canfield, they received 144 rejections for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Now you think, how is that possible that that many publishers did not recognize the value of what was going to happen with that book that has now sold you know, half a billion, half a billion copies. I mean, 500 million copies of Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Well, he had to get through those rejections. I asked him on that interview, and you may recall that, I, I said, you know, how many rejections do you think most people get for a manuscript before they just quit and decide it's no good and they move on to something else? Well, his answer, and I certainly agree, is probably one or two, one or two rejections, and somebody moves on. You know, what if you're in sales? What if you're in sales? I, I love selling, I always have, and I had a little project one time that I was doing, and um, I had to just knock on doors, just cold call. I didn't call ahead for appointments or anything. I wanted to move a lot faster than that. It was a little project where I was selling advertising space. And so I would just walk in, just walk in. Well, my goal was every day to have 15 businesses identified that I was going to walk in and to then have as a goal that I would have eight of those that I would actually make a presentation. I mean, knowing that some business walk in, the owner's not going to be there, decision maker's not going to be there, whatever. So eight, though, where I really wanted to be able to make a presentation to somebody who had the ability to make a decision. I learned very quickly. I kept track of my numbers. I learned that I would close. I would get a, a yes from 67% of those people. So 67% of the presentations that I made which meant that I was going to sell four or five of those ad spots in a day. And that made a pretty good day. I mean, I could do really well with that. Actually, I, you know, in putting those together, I knew that I could make four to $6,000 a week in doing that without going through all the, the details. That's really where it ended up. So it was very profitable and I could move through that very quickly. But I had to get through those no's to get to a yes. But knowing the numbers allowed me to very quickly, if I, if I got seven no's, I mean, I had doors slammed to my face and people telling me, didn't you see the sign? No soliciting and all, all those things. It didn't matter. I knew my numbers. If I got seven no's in a row, I got excited. I thought, my gosh, I know my numbers. That means I'm probably going to get like six yeses all in a row together. And that would happen. You've got to get comfortable with the rejection. You know, there's a there's a, a site out there. It's called rejectiontherapy.com. Young guy, it's really hilarious. I've mentioned it before. Just a reminder where a guy was so devastated by rejection that he decided he was going to build up his immunity to it. You know, get a thick skin. I mean, if you get rejected a lot, it ought to build up your immunity. I mean, salespeople know that. If they're going door to door, they know not everyone is going to be a yes. They're going to get a lot of no's. And if they're devastated, if they're mortified, if they just cringe and defeat, if they get a no, they're never going to make it in sales. And you aren't either. I mean, if you can't handle rejection here and there, whether it's from a school or a job you applied for or knocking on doors selling something or trying to get people to engage with you as a coach or a, a speaker, I mean, if you can't handle that, 
it's going to be impossible for you to succeed. Anyway, this young guy on rejection therapy, I mean, he goes through, he decided to set himself up for a hundred days of rejection, asking things that he knew were ridiculous, just so he would get used to being rejected and not take it so personally. So the first day he asked a stranger, a total stranger, if he could have a hundred dollars. Well, you know how that's going to go. Uh, the next day, he asked for a burger refill. You know, went in somewhere, got a burger and fries, and you, you can. He he went up and asked for a burger refill, and the guy kind of scratched his head. He, what do you mean we don't do that? And, well, why don't you? I mean, I can get a drink refill. I just want a burger refill. But it's really funny the things he went through. He asked to speak over Costco's intercom. He asked to be a greeter at Starbucks. He asked to give a lecture. Uh, in a college class. Um, he has to get a free room at a hotel. Anyway, just go to rejection therapy. You can check that out. But the point is, in our good news, I mean, I love this gal's story about making a skirt out of her rejection letters. You got to be realistic about this, and you got to be able to handle that if you're going to move forward. Another, we've got so many good good news things happening in the 48 Days Eagles community. I don't have time to, to list them all here, but one of the things that has been really interesting is to watch the ongoing development of a gentleman, a member of our Eagles community. His name is Steve Christmas. Now, he happens to have an interesting name. His name really is Steve Christmas. His mother's name was Mary. Imagine that having a name of Mary and Mary and a guy with the last name of Christmas. Well, anyway, what he did, what Steve did, was he started with his son, a balloon animation business, where they would go to a birthday party, and, you know, blow up balloons and then twist them to make these little animals, octopus and doggy and that, that kind of thing. Well, he was just helping his little boy with the business. Well, they did pretty well with that business, and he continued to help him. Well, that little boy grew up and ultimately went off to college. Guess what Steve decided? He enjoyed the balloon business. He's expanded it. He does grand openings for companies. He does big displays for welcome back to campus for colleges using balloons, you know, hundreds of balloons. He calls himself an inflation animation engineer rather than just a balloon guy. But uh, you can check him out, you know, Steve Christmas, just uh, a fun idea and interesting to see something that was developed just as an entrepreneurial experience for a child. It turns out the child went off to college and off to other things, and the daddy decided, this is a lot of fun. I'm going to continue this. Love seeing that happen. All right, here's some questions. Kevin says, Dan, I'm a project manager for a global medical device manufacturer. I've been listening to your podcast, and I read 48 Days to the Work You Love. I've identified the role I want, but I'm stuck at selecting an industry to focus on. I love what the project manager role can be, but I disagree with the project management philosophy at my current company. Poor planning, not enough resources, unclear requirements, lack of documentation, everything is a priority, therefore nothing gets done what I enjoy most is playing hobby board games like, like um, with family and friends, things like Ticket to Ride, Settlers of Catan, and so on. I love the strategy, competition, laughter, and how it brings people together. But I also like the idea of being a project manager for many industries. I know I can apply my talents to my industry and my limiting opportunities by narrowing my search in one industry. Well, some... Um, Questions that don't have a clear yes or no answer there. Um, I, I 
appreciate the way you laid this out, Kevin. I love the fact that you see what you really enjoy being identified in games like Ticket to Ride. We play that as a family as well, a lot. I mean, there is a lot of strategy. It takes a long time to play it. And there's a lot of that project management skills that you have that can be used in doing that. And it's great to see that kind of connection. Now, being a project manager where you are currently, you're identifying a particular company culture that is not a positive one. That's one company. Don't assume that that's the same everywhere else because it's probably not. So in doing a good job search, you want to, as you have read in 48 Days to the Work You Love, identify 30 to 40 companies that would be candidates where you could see yourself being involved as a project manager. But keep in mind, interviewing, I got another question that deals with interviewing, so I'll go into this a little bit more. But keep in mind, the word for interview in the Latin means to see about each other. When you do an interview, it's not there to beg for a job. No, you're there to see if this is a place you want to be involved. So you ought to have opportunity to see into their culture, talk to people who work there. You know, ask the person who's interviewing you about their own experience in working there. So you can do that. And if you're doing a great job interview, you ought to end up with three or four at least job offers where you can then choose more carefully a company that really aligns with the kind of culture that you want. And you can do that. Now, I looked here in uh, Portage, Michigan, and I looked that up. It's a town of 46,000 people. Not real big, but there ought to be plenty of companies for being a project manager. Plenty of companies there. And I see you're just outside of Kalamazoo, which is another 75,000. So you've got a, a great population base where you ought to be able to draw a circle 15 miles from your house and get those 30 to 40 companies where you can then interview. So I would encourage you to simply do a good job interview and expand so you're not just in one industry, maybe two or three. And then you can balance that to see, you know, are these other opportunities something that I would enjoy as well? I mean, recognize this is a great time to be doing a job search. There are so many companies that are looking for good people who know what value they bring to the table. So you can really be in the driver's seat. Just go through the process that's laid out in 48 days to do a great job search. And you'll then be able to choose from these opportunities to choose the one that's most like, you know, playing ticket to ride when you go to work every day. You know, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I was contacted by Western Michigan university, which is in Kalamazoo to come speak to um, their students. They had a foundation that was providing a grant to bring in a speaker for this process of understanding what the future is going to look like in work and so on. You know, I get those requests and, but, but, but I, I in getting requests, I kind of pick and choose what I want to go to. And uh, Joanna and I usually pick and choose places where we want to go. And uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan was not at the top of our list in places that I was looking to go to, but I happened to have a good friend, a business colleague who lives in Kalamazoo. And I called him up. I said, Tom, is there any reason I would come to Kalamazoo, Michigan? I said, I'm not thrilled about this. You know, they, I mean, the, the, the pay was wonderful. They were going to pay me a lot, buy some books and all that. I said, I'm just not sure I want to come to Kalamazoo. He says, Dan, have you ever heard of the Gilmore Car Museum? I said, no, I sure haven't. He says, you need to come to Kalamazoo. I said, okay. 
So I agreed to go to the university. I went to the university. It was about a 45-minute presentation, had a little luncheon meet and greet afterward. I did that. And the next day, Tom, my friend, and I went and spent the entire day at the Gilmore Car Museum. I was blown away. I mean, this is like 70 acres. It's home to over 400 cars and motorcycles. There's an old restored uh, 1941 diner there that serves, you know, hamburgers and fries and pecan pie. I mean, if, there were buildings, entire buildings dedicated to the automotive brands. So there's a building for Lincoln, a building for Chevy. There was a building for nothing but hood ornaments, a building for nothing but miniature cars, toy cars that had been made based on real life-size models. It was phenomenal. I don't remember much about the university, but I remember a whole lot about the Gilmore Car Museum. It was a great experience. Anyway, that, that's what comes to mind when we talk about Kalamazoo. So, um, Kevin, you can find opportunities that line up with where you want to go. Keep me posted on your progress there. That'd be awesome. Well, Keith asked, why are you not endorsing products on your podcast anymore? This week, I was using a product you once advertised and was grateful you brought this item to my attention. I would enjoy hearing your thoughts on sponsors for podcasting. Thank you so much for your words of wisdom. Keith, wow, that I love that question. I mean, not many people ask me to have commercials on my podcast. Now, if you've been a longtime listener, you know that I have had products that I promoted here. Harry's Razor. We had a lot of fun with that. A lot of fun. And tons of you purchased Harry's Razors. I mean, I use a Harry's Razor every morning today. Casper Mattress. I mean, Joanne and I love our Casper Mattress. We didn't bring any furniture with us in our recent move from Tennessee to Florida, but we brought two Casper mattresses, the one for our bed and the one for our guest bed. Not bringing the beds themselves, we bought new beds, but we bought those mattresses because we love them that much. You've heard me talk about fresh books, LinkedIn learning, all those kind of things. Now, here's the deal. You know, people come to podcast as compared to terrestrial radio. So I came into podcasting after being on the radio in Nashville, Tennessee for six years. So in an, an hour of regular radio, talk radio, there's 12 minutes of commercials and news. So people know they have to, you know, weed through those, hang around. But then podcasting comes along and it's just pure, positive content, 60 minutes in an hour, no commercials at all. That's appealing. That was the original appeal. Well, certainly over time, those of us who are podcasters discovered we could have sponsors. So we have those things creep in. It can be very profitable, and it certainly has been for me. But I, I, I have to weigh that in the balance. Do I want to just get that extra money and risk offending listeners, or do I want to have it just be nothing but the 48 Days Podcast. I mean, certainly I do talk about other products. We have upcoming events, webinars, the Eagles community. I mean, I talk about those things. I mean, you could see those as commercial promotions, but they're blended into my normal conversation. Answers from questions, listeners just like you. So it's really seamless. I just haven't been intentional about looking for those Sponsors. Now, I get contacted a lot. You know, would you represent you know, luggage for 
airline, airline luggage. Well, that's not something that really grabs me. It doesn't seem to be tied into what I'm doing, and I'm just not interested in doing that. I only want to have things that would really be, that are really tied in. So if I promoted, like recently for LinkedIn Learning, wow, that's an amazing opportunity to find content, to elevate you very quickly in whatever it is you want to learn about. So I believe in that. I have no problem in doing that. But if I move into 2021, and I've talked about this with my team, you know, should I look for sponsors? I'd, I'd really like to have uh, like Guy Kawasaki as a friend of mine, and he is a brand spokesperson for Mercedes. He drives any Mercedes that he wants, you know, others for his family, you know, gets other compensation and so on. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I would find be really cool. I mean, wow, it'd be a brand spokesperson for, you know, Corvettes or for Lamborghini or Ferrari or something like that. Now that would be cool. Or find me a Mexican food chain or product because I enjoy that. You know, it has to be something that I'm going to really use. I mean, Fullscript is the company Joanne and I use for vitamins and supplements. So it could be clothing, food, travel, but it has to be something that Joanne and I would personally recommend to somebody, even if it were not a podcast sponsor. So that's kind of my overview. And I'd love to hear from you, Keith, about, I'd love to hear what it is that you're, you are using. You didn't identify what it was, but uh, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners, to give me some suggestions of what that would look like. And I, I love the idea of bringing to your attention great products, things that you could use, things that I know that I enjoy. I mean, I'm not opposed to that idea. I've just been in this kind of gray area. And in this year, I've only had a couple sponsors that I have said yes to, but I am considering it for 2021. So if you got an idea, what would fit? What would fit for what you know about Dan Miller, the 48 Days brand? What would fit as a sponsor? I'll tell you what, you know, Shoot those in, just shoot those in, your suggestions to askdan at 48days.com. Give me two suggestions along with your uh, name and address, and I'll send you a copy, copy of the rudder of the day. We're talking about that anyway today, the rudder of the day, the direction starting the day, the first hour is the rudder of the day. I have a book that's titled The Rudder of the Day. It's 91 short segments, compilations, just short things you can use as devotional inspiration in the morning. But so send me two suggestions about sponsors that you would like to see that you think fit in the 48 Days brand. I'd love to hear your ideas and I'll reach out to some. If I really think that it would be a good fit, we'll reach out to some. I mean, companies are certainly looking for opportunities to get the word out there. No shortage of that. And I'll see if we can't line some of those up if they are really things that do line up. So give me two suggestions along with your address. I'll send you a copy of the Redder of the day. Just send those in to ask Dan at 48days.com. Obviously, any other questions, that's a place to go as well for your questions or success stories. Just shoot those in to askdan at 48days.com. Now, here's a question that kind of framed the beginning, my opening statement for today's podcast, and that is, this comes from Adam, who says, Dan, in your book, you reference Henry Ward Beecher's assessment that the first hour of the day is the rudder of the day, the golden hour. Could you share your morning routine and how you plan your day? Wow, I am happy to do so. 
I mean, there is nothing that has contributed more to my success than the reverence that I have for those first 90 minutes of the day. Now, if you remember, I started off the the podcast today saying, you know, if you protect this 90 minute window, you will win the day. Well, here's how you do that. Here's my first 90 minutes of the day. What I do in that time sets the stage for the day that I'm going to have the first 90 minutes of my day. I mean, I'm normally in bed by 930. I'm not, I don't enjoy staying up late. I love the morning. I love to see the sunrise. I've always been that way. So I'm usually in bed by 930 or so and awake by about 530. So there's my eight hours. Um, I want to have that. I haven't used an alarm clock in years and years and years. I simply go to bed when I'm tired and wake up when I'm rested. So when I get out of bed, I slip out of our bedroom into another room where I drop on the floor, do some yoga stretches. There's some things I do. My massage therapist has taught me to do things that I can do to protect my back. So I do that for just stretches for about 10 minutes or so. And then for the next five or 10 minutes, I just walk through our house, looking out the windows for the first signs of the sunrise and early morning, those beautiful, beautiful birds that move around freely on our property, look out the back, you know, over the lake. Sometimes I see an alligator that's uh, moving around down there early in the morning, but we have the blue heron. They have a real distinctive sound I've discovered, and I see a lot of them coming over the property in the morning, looking for their fish and all. So I just express, and I express gratitude. I express gratitude aloud for the life that I have. That's a real important part of my day. So when I'm walking through the house, I'm just kind of seeing things come to life, and I just talk about gratitude for the life that I get to live, the things that I enjoy, the blessings that I have. Then the next 20 minutes is spent in quiet meditation, contemplative prayer. I vary that in what I do. I have a device called Muse, M-U-S-E. It's a headband that I put on that tracks what's going on in my brain that keeps me focused, where if my mind starts to wander, the music gets really loud and obnoxious. And so my goal is to keep the music really soft um, you know, that's somebody I'd love to have as a, a sponsor is Muse. I need to check into that. That's one. So don't give me that suggestion. I already have that. I need to follow up on that probably. So I do that 20 minutes there. Then I head out the door where we live. There happens to be a one road that goes through the community. So it's very quiet early in the morning. There's very, rarely any traffic at all, but it's three and a half miles. That's the the length of walk that I really enjoy. And while I'm doing that, I listen to positive inspirational podcast, audio books. Then I get back to the house, usually sweaty, but then I'm ready to you know, take a shower, say good morning to Joanne. At that point, she's usually up. We cover our activities for the day, have a cup of tea together, and I'm ready to go. But by then, my mind, body, and spirit are prepared for whatever the day can bring. I mean, nothing is more important than those first 90 days. Now, you can decide what that's going to look like for you, but I want to assure you, if you protect that first 90 minutes of the day, I mean, I know people who, you know, go to bed late because they stayed up too late watching TV and uh, the alarm clock goes off. They grab the alarm clock, slam it down, you know, jump out of bed. They're already frustrated and stressed and late and you know, rush out the door you know, grab a cup of coffee to keep them awake, honk at traffic as they're on their way to the office, get there five minutes late, plop down in their chair. Well, you've just set the stage for the day that you're going to have. That's not how I want to start my day. Incidentally, with what I described, 
those first 90 minutes. I never start the day with checking text messages, email, you know, my phone, Facebook, TV, news of any kind. That's not what I want going into my brain. I mean, those things come later in the day, but it's not the way I want to start my day with that spirit of reverence and awe. I want to protect that 90 minutes. So there are three things that I want to include in my morning. I would recommend them for you as well. There are three M's, and those are movement, meditation, and mastery. That's my goal in the morning, movement, meditation, and mastery. But if you can win the morning, you can win the day. Just love that setup. Love the question. Thanks. All right, here's another question. Um, I um, I want to ask about interviews. Since I'm doing an interview this Thursday at 9 a.m., this is a student who asked this, doing an uh, interview at 9 a.m. for the Deemer Scholars Program. I'm working in internships. The program coordinates taking a class, doing tours, very competitive, very rewarding. Do you have any suggestions on how to stand out from others during an interview that is in a virtual setting? Yes. Wow. And and most interviews these days are in a virtual setting. Now, let me jump into something here that is pretty intimidating to a lot of people. I addressed this in the new version of 48 Days to the Work You Love, the 20th anniversary edition, and that is artificial intelligence interviews, AI interviews, where you may go through three interviews and never interact with a human being. Now, is that good, bad, ugly, right, wrong? Well, we could make any kind of accusation, but it just is what it is. But here's the deal. I've always said that if you're going to interview and you can choose, choose between nine o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning, more yes decisions are made in that period of time than any other time of the day. So you could see the same interviewer at three o'clock in the afternoon, as you saw at nine o'clock and get a different result because the interviewer is in a different space. The interviewer maybe have had a tough day, stressed out, looking forward to ending the day, doesn't want to make that kind of decision. And so a no is just easier. That's not true with computers. With an artificial intelligence interview, the computer doesn't care. Now it knows, believe me, it knows, but it doesn't care if it's four o'clock in the afternoon or eight o'clock in the morning. It doesn't care. It's objective. And this is what happens. An, an artificial intelligence interview process can gauge a whole lot of things, including the impression you're likely to make when you're interacting with others, how articulate and confident you are, the tone of your voice, your level of enthusiasm, how much you smile, what your eyes are telling. All of that can come, and very accurately so, from the computer model. So if a company has a position open, I mean, it's not unusual for a company to have 3000 applications for a position. My goodness. I mean, there's a whole lot of activity, a whole lot of people out there looking. So they may have a couple thousand applications. It takes a lot of manpower to screen through those in any fashion to screen through those. If those are handled by a computer, the cost is very low in terms of the human capital required. They narrow down to the three best candidates. Then they intervene with human interaction, may go through another three interviews. I mean, it's just a more efficient process. So don't be put off by that. Now, what you're implying here in your question, it may not actually be AI. It may just be that you, the interviewer is on a Zoom call with you 
or go to meeting or whatever form they're using. But it's just you see yourself on a screen like that. But the same things are true. Pay attention too. I, I would encourage you if you're going to do that kind of interview, have a mirror right on the other side of your computer so you see yourself. So you see, are you smiling? Are you having good eye contact? Do you exude energy? I mean, if there's one thing you can do that'll make you a, a more desired candidate, it's to show energy. Show that you're upbeat. Have a life in your voice. Don't let your voice drain down into vocal fry. Don't slouch down in the chair. I mean, those are the kind of things you can do. Here's another tip. Since we're talking about this, I don't talk about interviewing or the traditional job process a lot, but um, you can use these tips even in other interactions. And if you have your own business, use these tips to your favor when you're interacting with potential clients or customers. Another tip that I've got out of 48 days here, and I drew this from uh, the delightful little book, Love Does, by attorney entrepreneur Bob Goff. And he talks about uh, when lawyers are doing depositions, you know, it's kind of a fearful time for people, and they tend to get stressed, and then they flub answers that they want to give and all that. He learned a technique that he taught his clients, and that is have your palms up the whole time. Have the backs of your hands laying on your your knees with the palms open and up. And here's the reason why. He says when the palms are up, they have an easier time being calm, honest, and accurate. Now, he says that he, as an attorney, used to walk around with his fists clenched, defensive, afraid people were going to take advantage of him. But then he says he learned from Jesus to be palms up. Palms up means you're strong enough to be vulnerable, even with your enemies. When people have their Fist clenched, they tend to get angry or defensive and make mistakes. Just a fun little thing. Pay attention to that. When you're interviewing, don't have your fist clenched. Even if they can't be seen on the camera, have your palms open. It'll help you be more relaxed, more calm, more forthright in what you're sharing. Well, so I hope you do well in your interview. You can nail it. And you can you can really stand out. I mean, it's, this is one of the areas where it's really easy to, to stand out is by learning how to interview well. Now, this comes from Melania, who says, what, what motivated you the most? This is from one of the college students that I spoke to yesterday. What motivated you the most in life during college years? And what motivates you the most today? You know, I was hesitant to really be totally honest in answering this to a group of college kids because what motivated me the most in college years was just an an acceptable way to get off the farm. I wanted to escape the farm. I wanted to be somewhere where I didn't have to get up at 5.30 in the morning to milk the cows. No, I get up early and enjoy the day. But that's different than going directly, having those first 90 minutes be involved with throwing hay bales and milking cows. That's a little different. So what motivated me, it was not that I was going to study something that was going to get me a great job and a great career. That was never my motivation for being in college. Now, I majored in psychology, but I majored not to pursue a career, but to be able to understand myself better. That was my motivation for studying psychology. I wanted to understand Dan Miller better. It wasn't that I was trying to prepare myself for any particular career path. I've never had an interest in being a therapist or a counselor. 
So I got my bachelor's and got a job for a few couple of years. And then went back and got my master's degree in clinical psychology again, not with the intention of becoming a psychotherapist. No, but simply because I enjoyed the process of study. And, and I want you to frame it as such. If you're looking at college or in college now, there are two reasons to go to college and certainly two reasons to get an advanced degree. Number one, so you get a piece of paper with your name on it. So somebody will give you a job and you've got that secured income. That's one. The second reason is for the personal development. Now, here's a challenge with number one. We know that 10 years after graduation, 80% of college graduates are working in something totally unrelated to their college degree. College rarely prepares you for the career you're going to have for the rest of your life. Now, certainly there are some exceptions. If you go to law school or medical school or pharmacology or something, it may kind of trap you in a particular career path. And if you enjoy it, that's fine. I mean, we need those people. But there's a whole lot of people who at 42 years old wake up and say, you know what, I want to redirect. I want to do something else. And of course, that includes physicians, attorneys, dentists, pastors, engineers, accountants, and all those as well. But keep in mind, the primary benefit that you get from advanced education is for the personal development that takes place. That can never be taken away. I mean, what I learned about myself in my academic programs is invaluable, even though it has very little to do with defining a career path for me. And believe me, today, as an author, speaker, coach, um, I don't have people asking me, gee, what's your degree? What's your credentials? It just doesn't come up. It's a secret part of my past. I went on, as some of you have heard me tell, and I write about it in 48 days about, you know, I completed my doctoral work as well. But that's not something that I hang out on a shingle or have on a business card. Those are just things I did for personal development to then position myself. And what people want to know about you today, incidentally, if you're looking for a new opportunity, I mean, I went to the Ohio State University years ago. My gosh, the foreign, the foreign language I had, I took, I took Fortran as a language It's a computer program that's so obsolete now. I don't know if anybody would even recognize the name. But what I did, people are not going to ask, gee, where did you get your degree, you know, 30 years ago? They're going to say, what have you done the last two years? I mean, we just hired uh, somebody new on our team, our 48 Days team. I never even saw a resume of hers. I don't know what she did academically at all. That's not what we were looking for. We were looking for Show us some work you've done in the last year. Show us a project that you headed up in the last six months. Here are some things we'd like for you to do. And and we paid her for those, but it was simply a trial to see, is she somebody who's going to fit in well with our team? Can she produce the kind of work that we need? That was the process of hiring her. And the same is likely to be true of you as well. Well, I kind of went on there, but Elena was asking about my college years. What motivated me? It was to get off the farm, explore some new opportunities, and learn more about myself. So there you go. Well, a couple more here, and we'll wrap up. Gracie says, how do you see the COVID-19 pandemic affecting the way jobs are for the long term? Well, it's certainly going to have a profound effect. I mean, there's a whole lot of companies that have discovered they can get productive work from their employees without ever coming to an office building. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty significant. 
if we as a company don't have to provide a building, perhaps not even computers, uh, no free lunches, I mean, no parking spaces. I mean, that's a major, major swing financially for a company. And a lot of companies have discovered that. Now, at the same time, um, I, I talked with my good friend Dave Ramsey about this. You know, Dave had just completed a new building, 220,000 square feet under roof, almost 1,000 employees. And all of a sudden, here we are, March 2020, and he's being told, you need to keep these people at home. Well, he did that, and people were at home for like eight weeks. And I talked to him about that experience. I said, so how dramatically did that hurt you in terms of financial goals for your company this year? He said, we never missed a beat. We never missed a projection. We never missed a goal that we set. But, and this is where it's really significant, he said what we missed was the creativity and innovation that will drive us forward into the future. So it put them essentially in a maintenance mode and they lost the creativity. Now, I just interviewed Dan Cockrell, who was former vice president of Disney's Magic Kingdom. So he had 12,000 employees that reported directly to him and all that. The two words that define the culture at Disney are innovation and creativity. That's what Dave Ramsey said they lost by having people at home. People did the work they were expected to do and did it very adequately, but they lost that kind of synergy that comes from people gathering around a water cooler, people meeting in small groups together, people sitting outside, you know, having lunch together and an idea will bubble up. That's what they lost. So, and we're going to find companies that are already experiencing that, that realize, yeah, they can have people work as robots from home and get things done, but we still need to be together. So we're going to see an ongoing blend of that. We're going to see companies that want to get people back together again. We see a lot of people who function best by being in a group, being part of a team. They don't like that kind of isolation that comes from just working at home, even though we have the technology that makes that possible. So we're going to see some modifications. Yes, we're not going to return to normal, not a chance but we're going to see combinations that do, again, put us back together. We're not going to be working in silos. There's way too many reasons for us to be together to justify that alone. Well, one more. Cammie says, how would you choose life versus career? Wow, that's a a standalone question. I always choose life first. Now, let me kind of explain what that means. So, Joanne and I have moved multiple times. We enjoy change, variety, challenge of new things. We have never moved where the reason was because of my work. That has always been secondary. We move, even even selecting where we went to where I went to graduate school. I mean, I went to Ohio State University. We were both in Ohio, and we said, golly, you know, let's let's explore some areas where we don't have these kind of winters, have this snow, the dark days and all that. Uh, nothing wrong. If you live in Ohio, you know, rock and roll Buckeyes. But we wanted to experiment with something else. And I said, let's choose this strata that includes Kentucky, Tennessee, North and South Carolina. Let's choose a graduate school. There's plenty of them there. So let's choose a graduate school that would be in that area so we can experiment with a new lifestyle, being somewhere where we have different kind of seasons. So we did that. 
I applied to seven schools. I was accepted at all seven, and I chose Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, Kentucky, because we just fell in love with the campus, the town, the people, all of that. But every time we've moved, we went to California because we just wanted to experience living out there. We came back to Tennessee because we wanted a place where there were seasonal changes, but not real harsh either way. We wanted to be near a major airport because the things that I was doing at that point, we wanted cultural things for our children. Those were the reasons we came there without having any clue what I was going to do work-wise. That I figured out after we landed there, after we got there. That's always been the case. I mean, our recent move from Tennessee to Florida, you've heard us talk about that. I mean, that wasn't because... I'm being pulled down here because of business opportunities. Believe me, a lot of people down here have kind of passed on to other another season of their life. That's a topic for another day. I love the opportunities that are down here, but we're here because Joanne loves the ocean, loves being near the water. And we decided, well, let's do that. There's no reason we can't. And I can continue doing what I'm doing adequately. I mean, it wasn't a wasn't any kind of glitch at all in the work, my being able to carry on. The, the biggest challenge I had was there were a couple of weeks where I recorded this podcast without having the fancy smancy equipment that I've got. Well, <laughs> now I do. Grateful to have it. You know what? I just realized we're right on top of the, uh, golly, right on top of the 48 minute spot already. I've Got plenty of questions. Love the questions coming in. Again, shoot those in to askdan at 48days.com. Can I join us for the webinar coming up? Seven ways to get your life back in 2020. Boy, don't start in this new year feeling like you're not in the driver's seat. You're not in control. Check it out. 48days.com slash webinar. You'll see all the details there. Join us on November 12th at either 1 o'clock p.m., 7 o'clock p.m. Choose which one you want. Jump in there. No cost to that. 48days.com slash webinar. We're going to walk you through that, how to be in control of your life as you roll into the new year. I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. Thanks for being part of this community where we know without a shadow of a doubt, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less. 